Good morning. My name is Britton Wood. I was with y'all a couple of weeks ago. I work for Reformed University Fellowship. That's the campus ministry of the PCA, which is the denomination this church is a part of. And um, happy to be with y'all this morning. And actually, Dave and I know each other. I'm happy to fill in when I can because he was the intern for RUF at Vanderbilt when I was a student there 20 plus years ago. Um, so it's always fun to get to see him again. Let me pray, and then we'll consider what Jesus said. Father, thank you for these words. Um, they're words that present a challenge to our hearts and ask us about what we love, but also tell us about your love. As we consider those things, um, we pray that your Holy Spirit would attend to the teaching of your word and change us. In your name we pray, amen. Um, I wanna tell y'all about this day I had. This was actually two Tuesdays ago. And I wanna start the, considering this text with this moment. Here's what happened within an hour, Tuesday morning, two weeks ago. Um, I have two 16-year-old daughters. I have two 16-year-old daughters and two 15-year-old daughters. Don't get distracted by that. One of my 15-year-olds, Catherine, is with me today. But um, I had to make the decision, you know, a year ago of what are we going to do about cars for the 16-year-old daughters. And um, I bought a 20-year-old Lexus with 210,000 miles on it for $2,000. Seemed like a great deal. Um, of course, when you buy a 20-year-old Lexus with 210,000 miles on it, one of the things that you make kind of an agreement with yourself on is that you're going to be comfortable with the check engine light just being perpetually on. And you just got to decide that's the kind of life you want to live and you're okay with your daughters driving a car with the perpetual check engine light on. And um, that's just, you know, that's, a, that's just one of those contracts you, or agreements you make with yourself. Well. At some point, I realize, or at least come to the conviction, I've got to get the car checked out. And I take it to a mechanic that I think I trust, a lot of friends trust, I don't know anything about cars. And he comes back and he said, you need $1,700 worth of work on a car that I paid $2,000 for. So you feel my pain right now, right? Uh, you feel my pain you know that immediately the question I'm asking myself in that moment is, is it worth it, right? Um, I, was, I studied economics when I was at Vanderbilt and David was there, and something I think about all the time is opportunity costs. Opportunity costs is what do you give up when you use resources for something? So fixing the Lexus doesn't cost me $1,700. It costs me everything else in the world you can buy for $1,700, right? Is it worth it? Here's the other experience I had within an hour. So am I gonna spend $1,700 on a $2,000 car? Question, is it worth it? I get an email an hour later, completely unrelated, from United Airlines. And United Airlines says, you have $210 in airline credit from a ticket I don't even remember canceling three or four years ago. And it says this, you have $210 of free credit on United Airlines, but it expires December 31st, right? So I don't know what to do. I'm not, I don't need to fly anywhere United's flying, but I have to spend it or it disappears. Those are the two financial quandaries I encountered within an hour. First of all, a situation where I have to figure out, is it worth it to spend it? And then secondly, I have to spend it or I'm gonna lose it, right? I want you to think about those two sentiments right now. Is it worth it 
and also, I have to spend it or I'm gonna lose it. And I want you to consider your most valuable resource, a resource that everyone in this room has an equal amount of. There's no disparity about this resource. Everyone has the same amount. You can't make more. And it is your time and your focus, your time and your energy. And here's what I want you to consider because this is what this parable asks us to do is you are spending your time and energy on something. Is it worth it? And secondly, I want you to know this. If you don't spend it, you do lose it. You can't make more of it, right? Your life, my life is running out as we speak. We just spent four minutes talking about a 20-year-old Lexus. That four minutes is gone. I hope you felt like it was worth it. You're not getting it back, right? Worst case scenario, we never ask ourselves those questions and we just get dragged about by our own impulses without really considering how we're spending our time and is it worth it with the added pressure of, by the way, if you don't spend it thoughtfully, you do lose it, it will be taken from you. Better case scenario, you begin to weigh each moment and ask yourself what you're investing in, your life, right, your energy, what you're investing it in. Best case scenario, you find something that's worth pouring your life out for. We are all pouring out our life, but you find something and you know with confidence, this is worth it, right? Um, and, and I was in college ministry for a number of years, 15 years, and um, for a while it was cliched to kind of make fun of this thing called FOMO. Maybe you've heard that term. It's almost probably dated now, but it's the fear of missing out. It's the anxiety college students feel when they're trying to make decisions, right? And for a while, camp, RUF campus ministers would get together and we would love making fun of our students for experiencing and talking about FOMO. Until at some point, somebody, one campus minister challenged us and realized maybe FOMO is actually a signal of wisdom. Fear of missing out is actually the recognition that they have a limited amount of time and energy and they want to be wise and thoughtful about where they direct it, right? Because the question is not whether or not you're paying out your life to get something in return. The question is, have you found something worthy of paying out your life for because you are paying out your life? It's one thing to spend $20 on Amazon and be disappointed. It's another thing to spend our lives on something and find out it wasn't worth it. So first thing that we kind of begin as we dive into this text and begin to address these questions, the first thing that these two characters teach us is this, or first two things, is we're all looking and the answer might be right under your nose. Jesus is saying something in these parables about the kingdom of heaven, a phrase that's used to depict life with Jesus and under and in his love and his reign. And he's saying that is the thing you've always been looking for and it might be right in front of you. There's two images, right? There's a pearl merchant in search of fine, fine pearls. The picture there is of someone seeking, searching, shopping, right? Scrolling down Zillow, scrolling through Amazon. Right, Facebook marketplace, shopping, looking for the thing, right? The anxiety that we experience about any and every decision we make is the fact that we implicitly understand that we are searching and we are afraid of arriving at the wrong thing and constantly hoping maybe once eventually we'll arrive at the right thing. But we also know if I choose this person, 
or if I choose this place, or if I choose this job, or if I choose this house, or this church, or this experience, I hope it leads me to something worthy because I don't get that choice back. We're all seekers, we're all shoppers, and there's an anxiety that comes along with that, but we're doing it all the time. The first guy is not on a search. He just stumbles into it, right? He discovers a treasure in a field. It ain't, this, this image wouldn't be, um, it would make sense to the first hearers because at that point in time, essentially the way that you saved or banked is you would bury your valuable things on your piece of property underneath the ground and that's how you kept it safe, right? And so there's, there literally is buried treasure all over the Middle East. And he stumbles upon it. And here's the point of that guy. The pearl merchant is telling us, hey, we're all seeking, we're all searching, we're all shopping. The guy who stumbles upon the treasure is telling us, and also the answer might be right in front of you. And it might just be mundane, but maybe it might be worth it. Isaiah 53 tells us about Jesus, that he had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him and nothing in his appearance that we would desire him. And I think one of the things that's hard that I don't even know how we think can begin to understand ourselves on is this. We live our daily life more so than ever. And okay, first of all, this is not that technology is bad. That's not where I'm going. But our daily life, all of us are assaulted with hundreds, if not thousands of stories that are generated by billions of dollars of psychiatrists and psychologists and businesses wanting to sell us something and to convince us that if we have their thing, the discontent we feel might go down a little bit or the anxiety we feel might go down a little bit. The fact that we're not hearing that story once or twice this morning from our magical glowing rectangles, right? But hundreds of times today, and not just on our magic glowing rectangles, but all over the place. That's disorienting. I don't think we can even begin to understand how it's affecting us on a spiritual level. I'm not saying it's bad, I'm not saying technology's bad. I'm saying we're searching, we're searching and we're seeking and we're being offered thousands of answers a day. And it might be the case that the answer's right in front of you and just doesn't shine as brightly as those other things. And we think we're supposed to find the shiniest thing, but there might be something beautiful that's not quite as shiny as all those other things. Right? There's a great line in the Fellowship of the Ring. Right? All, there's, there's the wisdom of all that is glitters is not gold. But in the Fellowship of the Ring, they also say all that is gold does not glitter. Have we chased the glittering things? The hundreds of stories we're assaulted by this week, the thousands selling us the glittering things. Jesus is telling us that all that glitters may not be gold and also all that is actually truly gold, the truly valuable things, the things that are worth our life, those things may not glitter. We need to become more intentional, self-reflective and personally honest with ourselves and Lord willing wise and identifying the things that are in fact worthy, right? So those two characters tell us that we're always searching and maybe the answer's right underneath our nose, but they also tell us the cost of worthy love. And before we do that, on one other point, Jesus is showing us in these two characters that when you find the thing, you're gonna know that you found the thing 
One of the ways you'll know is because you will give everything you have in order to gain it. And that's a little bit disorienting for us because the main way we go through our lives is we diversify our portfolio. The prospect of selling everything we have to have one thing sounds crazy, right? So what we do with our daily lives, with our time and our energy, our most valuable resources, but also our money and the other resources we have at our disposal is we diversify, right? Some Jesus religion here, we're hoping that pays off, but we don't wanna go all in on that. Some materialism here, life in this community here, a little hope in vacation, a little bit of hope in the experiences I hope I can have, a romance, a little bit of Nashville, and here and there, and there's, they're mostly good things, the things that we're diversifying our life and our portfolio into, but we're not all in on any one thing. That's terrifying. But these two characters, when they discover the worthy treasure, know that it will cost them everything and know it will be worth it. They went and sold all they had to buy the field, to buy the pearl. And I actually think the reason that we're unhappy is precisely because we diversified our portfolio. Because you are made to feel the most alive when you have a sincere and singular passion. In college ministry, one of the fun things about it is college students are trying everything. Right? That's part of the college life, is to go there and they join 100 student clubs and just enjoy a bunch of different experiences. And they're in the business of trying so many things, looking for the one thing to give themselves to. But when I was at, so I was at Stanford for a while doing college ministry, and I observed a, a fascinating phenomenon that I think tells us a lot about ourselves. Stanford is a bunch of students who are extremely driven. They wanna be the best at whatever they're doing and they're looking for something to be the best at as well. And on two occasions while we were there, we had, I had student couples in RUF get married the summer after their junior year. And if they're the most despised students at Stanford were the students that chose to, got mar that chose to get married in college. Their social experience after they got married before they finished their undergrad degree was fascinating. People couldn't stand them. People thought they had given up everything to have one thing, which they did give up a lot to have one thing, but this is what really happened over time, what revealed to be true, is that everybody was looking for something to give up everything for, and they didn't actually know what to do with someone who found it their bitterness toward those people was actually jealousy. Because those people, the, those two married couples, what they were at Stanford is they were free. They were free. They no longer were beholden to and diversifying their portfolio to a thousand other pursuits hoping to find the one thing. No, they experienced the freedom of finding the one thing and nobody else knew what to do with that. The joy of and the freedom of having something worthy of love is actually unlocked and unleashed in the giving up of all else for that love. And we need to be honest that we're hedging on our relationship with Jesus and that the reason that we're not happy in Jesus is not because he isn't good, it's because you can never enjoy a relationship that you hedge by holding on to other loves and other hopes and other dreams. The two men sell all that they have to have the treasure 
And if we're hearing this, it should feel a little bit, we should feel a little nervous if we're hearing Jesus on this because we're beginning to see that following Jesus means that everything I have is given up in order to have him. That he now has claim over everything in my life. My job, my money, my sexuality, our future, our weekend, our school, our choice of spouses, our sadness, our dreams, our time, our everything, our autonomy, our independence, our politics. But this is the thing. The joy of love is only available. I mean the experience feeling great, feeling free, feeling full. An experience feelings charged, joyful relationship with Jesus is only available when we give up everything to have it. Love that costs you nothing will mean nothing to you. And, and let me, now we're like, Jesus asks a lot. Yes, he does. He asks for everything. But before we move on, let me give you a reminder. You may think, ah, Jesus asks around. He doesn't, or sorry, Jesus doesn't mess around. He asks for everything. He does. But also know this. Something is taking your everything. Something is demanding your life. You are giving yourself to something. And maybe the reason that you can't identify that thing is because we've learned and never really learned to think deeply about what our hearts are truly attached to or because, we, again, we've diversified our portfolio. But know this. Jesus asks for everything. It's a tall order. Your everything is being given to something anyways. Our life is being spent. So how do we identify a worthy investment? That's the question. Is it worth it? How do you identify a good investment? We should ask that of Jesus. It's okay to ask that of Jesus. Is he worth it? And we should ask it of our other loves that we invest our heart and our lives into and our hopes and our focus. Are they worth it? And here's what we have to contend with. Here's the good news. Here's the question. How is Jesus distinct from all the other things we could invest our love and our lives into? He is the only one that gives up everything he has for you. And nothing else you invest your life or your love into will. Hebrews 12, look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of your faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. For the joy of having you, he gave up his everything. He didn't love us because we were good or because we were worthy. He went to the cross to display the love that he has for us in spite of our failure when we weren't worthy to take away our unworthiness and everything else that we could give ourselves to, everything else that will require us to pay out our lives in order to have, will always be evaluating you as to whether or not you are worthy. We'll always withhold blessing, we'll always withhold security and confidence and freedom, asking you constantly to prove whether or not you're worthy. And that's why we're all crazy anxious. What does our world do if we prove that we're unworthy? Or if we're exposed, we're out, right? What do employers do with the incompetent? They don't hire them or they fire them. What do friends do or communities do with people who fail them or don't fit their groups of personality? 
exclude them? What does the world do when you cease to fit the beauty mold? You're sidelined. What do we do with the morally detestable? We cancel them. What do we do with the awkward? We avoid them. What does the world do with the sick and, and dying? We put them away from us. What does the world do with the proud? We elect them. What does the world do with the power hungry? We feed them. What does the world do with those who do fit the beauty mold? We praise and adore them. What does the world do with the famous? Run after them. But what does the world do with the foolish and embarrassing failures, outcasts, eyeballs, and outsiders? The world does not have time for them. And if you haven't experienced it already, the world, which by the way is, is us, is always asking us to pour ourselves out in order to prove our worth. And if you do prove worthy, the rewards are temporary. And if we're ever found to be unworthy, the world kicks us to the side because no one gives their lives for the unworthy. No one will, except Jesus. Because he loves you. He invented love, and he knows the only way to unlock the joy of love is actually to sacrifice everything you have for the one that you love, and he does that for you. And he does it even especially for the unworthy. And anytime someone comes along and comes to him with some sense that they are worthy of his love, that they've earned the right to have claim on it, he usually goes to great lengths to say, listen, I don't love you because you think you're worthy. I need you to come worthy. I need you to come into this mirror and see who you really are, not so that he can shame us, but so that we'll know that he loves the real us and not the PR campaign we've been running all along. In closing, I've been married for 17 years now and, you know, you remember in the dating relationship, maybe you're there right now, but you remember in the dating relationship, the anticipation of the first I love you, right? And how magical that moment could hopefully be, right? And 17 years now, and I've heard I love you from Elizabeth thousands of times. And there's some electricity charged to that first moment, right? But the reality is when you've been married 17 years and someone says, chooses to say to you, I love you, there's far more power in those words now than there were in that first moment. And here's why. She's known me for 17 years. She's not relating to the PR campaign I was running when I was a boyfriend or a fiance. She's saying I love you to the real me that she's seen all the way through. And then I love you is, I've seen all of you and I still choose you. Right? And it's a small picture of Jesus' love for you. And one of the reasons, maybe Sundays feel repetitive to you, I hope they do. This whole coming into God's presence and confessing sin and hearing the assurance and hearing his word expounded about his love for you and then feasting at the table with him, you know what that is? I hope you're, maybe you're a month in Maybe you're a year in, maybe you're five years in, maybe you're 40 years in. The I love you 40 years in from Jesus is better than the one a month in because you realize how much more he knows about you. And when we give him our work and our ambition and our sexuality and our hopes and our shame and our guilt and our wounds and our money, he doesn't take, the, here's the good news. He's asking everything of us. 
And when we give him all those things, here's what he doesn't do. He doesn't take them from you. He doesn't remove them from your life. He redeems them in your life. And the reason we're so frustrated and hate those things that we worship all the time is because we're asking them to bear the weight of our identity. And when they cease to be our identity and are restored to their rightful place, which is gifts from Jesus to us, but the gift giver is the one that sits at the center of our heart and is our supreme love, you know what happens? All those things you're afraid of giving up, you get back and you get to enjoy finally and fully for the first time. He's not taking things from you when you pay out everything to have them. He's redeeming those things for you. Following Jesus costs everything, but you get everything and more in return. And he is the only one who gives up everything he has to have you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this good news. It is confusing to figure out how to live in it, but it is good. And you're making all things new and you're making us new. And we were not free for you, but your love is freely given to us because you're willing to pay the great price. Pray that that reality would work in our hearts and begin to change us and we would enjoy living our lives open-handed before you, giving you everything. In your name we pray, amen.